Lastly with Martin Besser. Right, joining us via Zoom this morning uh, on a Zoom call. And thank you very much for your time. Uh, the firstborn son of Pablo Escobar will tell you more about the book in a moment as well and his art. I know you're busy uh, painting at the moment. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Roberto Sindoya Escobar. I'm going to get right into it. I want you to share with us how you found out, in that moment you found out that Pablo Escobar is is your father. When I was 24, there was no internet. So we didn't know what was going on in the world. My adopted father, the MI6 agent, he rings me up and he says, look, son, I gotta, we're going to have a chat. So 24, right? I'm thinking, I knew I was adopted. I knew I had a weird life as a child because I had all these bodyguards and guns everywhere and violence and all sorts of stuff. And this other guy who used to put his arm around me and say, ah, my son, you know, remember you're an Eskimo. Who the hell's this guy, you know? Mm. So at this moment, I know he's my adopted father, but that's all I know. I go to his apartment in Madrid. He's got some mission on because he's a very high level MI6 secret agent. And he tells me uh, some stuff. But the way he tells me is like weird. We're walking home, right, uh, back to the flat. And he turns around and says, oh, uh, yeah, that's where we keep the money. I said, you what? <laughs> I said, what money? And this is what started what? this humongous conversation. So that's how he breaks the ice. And so he starts to tell me about my life. And he, what he does, he's quite clever. He identifies with things. He says, you remember that plane we had in Colombia and we used to fly to this place called Medellin? And do you remember this and do you remember that? And I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was identifying me with my child and taking me back okay. there and reminding me of the things we used to do together. Because I used to go on a lot of his missions. I don't know why. I presume it's because he, he felt I was safer with him, with the security people, than at home. We just went to this basement and, and he showed me this pile of money. And it literally was millions in sacks. And then he said, you remember the sacks they used to get from these people in Medellin and we used to put them on the plane and all that. And so he reminded me of all this stuff. And I'm going, oh, yeah, I remember that. I took some photos, didn't I? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. He said, yeah, yeah, you did take some photos. Because <laughs> I had this little camera and I used to take photos of everything. And I've got all these pictures of all these people doing these illegal things. Unreal. <laughs> Unreal. Real stuff in the 70s, you know, like drug dealers and stuff. And then he says, well, you know, the guy in Medellin, the guy, the guy that said he was your, well, he was your father. Uh, I went, oh, okay. Because now I'm an adult. I know what adoption means. So I thought, okay, so he's my father. He's still so what? You know, he said, well, the thing is, he's got to go to a prison. But it's not an ordinary prison. It's his prison, which he's built for himself. He's done a deal with the government. And he's built himself a prison and he's going to go and live there. And he's not got a lot of control. You have a half brother and you have a half sister and their mother, who he's married to, have had to run off to Germany. But Germany won't have them. So now they've got to go back to the Intercontinental Hotel, which is where you used to live when we took you from the orphanage. Remember, it used to be owned by the Colombian government, that hotel. It's now the Intercontinental, which you can go and stay in in Bogota. But there are a couple of apartments at the top which are owned by the Secret Service. And that's where you go if you need to be safe, like a safe house. And that's where he gets the phone calls from our father. And that's where he gets trapped and they find him and all that stuff. But it is in that pivot 
pivotal moment where although he's still alive and he's in this prison and it's not really a prison it's a it's basically a lap dancing club private lap dancing club for his him and his mates he's in a situation where he can't properly control what's going on and the the, the cartel's falling to pieces all the rats are uh, running off the ship he said because he's your father you naturally had protection but now you haven't so i'm going to have to put special forces security at your house so when you go down to Soto Grande, where I used to live, you better phone your wife tonight and tell her that um, there's going to be some armed guards at your house. Now, to me, armed security is like nothing because I grew up with it all. It's fine. But to, to my wife, who was you know, <laughs> born in Oxfordshire in England, yeah. was like, what the f*** is this all about? You know, <laughs> It's all like quite weird. It changed your life in that moment, but also your siblings, your half, your half-siblings. Because now they yeah. obviously also found out that there is an elder brother. Are you guys? No, no they guys... didn't. No, they didn't know there was an elder brother then. No, oh, no. No, 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 no. When did they find no. out? They found out when I published the book. <laughs> oh. And how did they take that? Do you speak to them? Very, very badly. Oh. <laughs> You've got to imagine that this this kid grows up being the son of this drug lord. And he gets a lot of attention and 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 he feels that there's a situation where he's the one. And it, it kind of like, you know, although at that time it was dangerous, um, you know, it settled down and he's sort of got this sort of slight celebrity lifestyle. And uh, well, he's an architect who lives in Argentina. Uh, I, I, but then then I come along and this turns out that this is the eldest son. Uh, and there is another, there is another uh, half sibling as well that I'm talking to. So there's at least three of us. But you've got to remember, our father, right, had women all over the place. You know, mm. so you know, I he he says that there was no way he would have any other children or us. That's bullshit. And, you know, he would have had loads of illegitimate children all over the place. Um, uh, it, it's normal behavior for someone like him out of control with all the power in the world, of course. Um, unfortunately, he had a penchant for young girls, which I don't know what that makes you if you, if you, you, yeah, I would have thought is sort of, I don't know what a, is it, is, was he a pedophile? I don't know. He liked young girls. Um, his wife was, I think, 12 uh, or 13 when, when he, they got together. Even in her book, she writes about how he raped her when she was 12 or something. Um, mm -hmm. My mother was 13, you know, Maria. So, you know, that's not, that's not good, is it? I mean, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not right. I mean, it's just wrong. But anyway, so he, he would have had lots of children, and I'm, I'm personally in touch with three other sure. children mm. uh yeah but one of them talks to me more than the others okay. um yeah so so juan pablo slags me off all around the world says i'm a liar or something. i don't i honestly don't care i couldn't give a shit. i've written my book i'm getting on with my life i know who i am i had a high court judge look at my paperwork to make sure that that it's all okay sure. none of the siblings none of the siblings including juan pablo none of us have uh DNA samples are compared to our father. And I'm working on that at a moment. I put a sample into my lawyers and we'll see where that comes from. But it doesn't matter. I mm. have protocolized birth certificates, which uh, mm. are, are legal tender, and I yeah. can demonstrate who I am. But I don't have a problem with that. And of course, once you once you put the pe all the all the pieces together and, and you can see that uh, there's, there's not an issue. I mean, these people were quite clever. They changed my birth date. They did all sorts of stuff to try and 
alienate me from from of my course. real uh, yeah. heritage because yeah. to protect me um that has become an issue for some idiots on the internet but look it, if you're a celebrity you stick your head above the water uh, above the parapet someone's going to have a shock at you it's just normal i mean uh, the uh, one thing you don't do once you've published a book especially an international bestseller like mine you don't read your reviews did he say something to you that you remember to this day that stands out for you more than anything else. Yeah, of course. I mean, I remember I had my own bodyguards with the, the Delarue, which is a British security company, and they were all special forces. So they were crack shots, you know, and they were hard cases. They were proper security people. And it, there were meetings and then there were meetings. There were official meetings where we used to meet at the Intercontinental Hotel in Medellin on the hill. That's on the top of the hill. It's a lovely hotel, still there. And every year they used to have the swearing of the allegiances of the Dons. So, you know, all these people would queue up. It was basically a big mafia meeting. And all the families would go. It's a big family thing. And um, I used to go with my bodyguards from our table and go and sit with, at this other table. My father didn't smoke, my adopted father, but my adopted mother smoked. And all her friends smoked. This is the 70s, right? Everybody smoked. And uh, so I knew what cigarettes smelled like. With these guys smoked cigarettes that smelled different. Now, of course, I know what it was. Yeah. I remind, remember that. And I remember what I now know to be aftershave was very strong. Smells you remember much more than other things. So I, I remember that smell. And I also remember him sitting next to me. <clears throat> I remember feeling very awkward. Uh, and it was a difficult time because, you know, uh, especially when I was much younger, I didn't understand what was going on because I thought my English parents were my parents. And I had to go and sit with this guy and he put his hand around me and say, you know, always remember you're an Escobar. Mm -hmm. and, and, and he used to say, he used to like point gesture to his mates, you know, because they're all like kids. Well, sure. I know now to be, mm. you know, they were, they were grown-ups to me, but actually there were, some of them were only, you know, 18, 19 or 20. So I look back now and think, oh, yeah. And so they were quite showy-offy and he'd say, ah, mi hijo, you know, my son. But I didn't know what that meant. I'm just a kid. There were other times that we used to have to go to this finca, which is a farm out mm. in the middle of nowhere. You know, we'd land there with helicopters and guys would come on with boxes um, and stick them in the helicopters and then we'd fly off again. I now know that to be cash, which is part of a laundering operation from MI6. But at the same time, we used to have to go and meet this guy, get off the helicopter and go and sit in this house. And I've got these photographs of me sat on the knee of this guy. And I used to keep saying to dad, who the hell is this guy? Is this, is this my dad? He said, no, 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 no. He is one of your dad's cousins. Because a lot of people think of the cartel uh, like a company where he was in charge and, and everybody did as they were told. That's not how a cartel works. Uh, a drugs cartel doesn't work like that. A drugs cartel is a loose, in inverted commas, affiliation of business people. Some men, some women, but mainly men, but uh, there were some women in the cartel. They have their own independent businesses. They, they, they don't um, say, oh, yes, sir, no, sir, you're the boss. It doesn't okay. work like that. They're all bosses. They all work together. At the time, they were experiences that I had as a child, which I didn't really understand. But yeah, but I remember the smell of cologne. I remember the awkwardness of this person who said he was my father. I didn't know who he was, that sort of stuff. You get these kind of weird emotions. Being an Escobar, though, isn't it dangerous? Aren't there people out to get you and now with the book as well? I mean, don't you sometimes feel a little scared? If you eat bananas every day from when you were a child, three times a day, 
by the time you get to 20, bananas don't mean anything to you. Because you grew up with guns around you, you grew up with your adoptive father, MI6. It's nothing, it's not yeah. like... Yeah, so, you know, so, so, if, so if MI6 officers came to your house, to you, you'd be like... I would. To me, it's like, well, I just invite them in, have, have a cup of tea, and let's have a chat. <laughs> You know, so it, I get it. I, I, yeah. that's the way it is for me. And I just don't have a problem with it. I get death threats, but man, they're by email and they're wow. pathetic. <laughs> really? Well, you know, what are you going to do? Bring it on. <laughs> when I'm on tour and I, and, I, and I have security, of course I have security. I, I usually say to the audience, you know, see these bodyguards, they're here to protect you from me because I can be quite crazy in a fight, you know. <laughs> yeah, well. It's not bravery. What happens is you become conditioned to the condition. Sometimes I'm in the city and I haven't got security and someone comes up to me and says, oh, do you mind if I could? It does cross my mind this person could want a selfie or this person might want to stack me i mean i don't know so i have to just think i don't think about it i just do the selfie <laughs> so this book talks about my life as a child this book talks about the secret operation with mi6 and the cia and all the rest of it and it tells everybody that narcos didn't quite get it right and it wasn't the americans that this and that la 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 and also and the book reveals other things. So, for example, my adopted father's handler is a guy called Sir Arthur Norman, who's chairman of De La Rue, the British Secret Service and printing um, and all the rest of it company. And they're still there today. They still exist. Uh, he was chairman of that company at the time. And Arthur Norman fought in the Far East when he was a younger man in, in the special forces. And one of his pals that he fought with and they, they became friends was a man called Ian Fleming. Does that ring a bell to you? There you go. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So they were buddies. And when you see in Dr. No, Bond comes in and throws it. He comes in and there's a woman typing. And he throws his hat on the hat stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she and she says, "M, we'll see you now." And he goes through the padded door into a room where he receives his mission, yeah. and it's an oak panelled room. Well, that room and that situation. Uh, when Ian Fleming wrote that, he's based on uh, very much like the office that I used to go to, where my adopted father would go through this padded door exactly the same, and Sir Arthur Norman, who in the film is M, he in the in real life was an MI6 handler, a boss, and he recruited uh, police officers and people from the army and sent them all on these missions. And one of the missions was to send Patrick Whitcomb to to Colombia. And uh, the money penny, if you like, of, yes. the, of the real life was a lady, Anne Bullen, yeah. who was PA, you look her up on Google, she was PA to Sir Arthur Norman of De La Rue. And I used to sit on her table playing with my Meccano set while she's trying to run the world. It is uncanny. <laughs> when, I, when, I read, when I read those chapters, that's exactly, I was like, this is a Bond movie. When your, your adoptive dad, when Patrick goes in and the room changed, I think the, the curtains were drawn or something, it goes all dark, the video comes in, and then he gets his mission, and he gets told a little bit about it, and he he was sent on the mission with his with a with an assistant. Didn't the mission also have some kind of code name that meant peach? What was it? Yeah, yeah. Operation Durazno. Durazno, and, which is Spanish for for peach. Spanish for peach yeah. because it's sweet and soft on the outside and a tough nut to crack in the middle. But this 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 operation lasted a long time, and the operation was an operation to infiltrate, which is what they do today. That's what Ukraine's all about. It's to infiltrate uh, a country and take over the 
the monetary and political system of the country, control it, uh, and then, of course, find out where all these dollars are disappearing to because the American economy is missing dollars. And so this took a long, long time, and they set up this armored car business. And my, my, my adopted father's uh, M- MO was always to set up an armored car business in whatever country he was operating right. in. And he'd be MD or whatever of the company. And the armored car service would be printing the banknotes, transporting the money. So they knew where the money was being hidden. It ended up all in Panama. And then the Americans invaded Panama. It's all part of history. And they got hold of Noriega. They got all their money back and off they went. And that was the end. Um, And they killed off the boss guy, tracked him down and had him killed off because he was had too much control over the over the countries. They, they did the same with Saddam Hussein is a good example. Yeah. Um, you know, they supported him, financed him, uh, because they wanted to beat up the Iranians. And then and then when he got too big for his boots, there you go. My gosh, Off it's all go. politics. It's just all politics. Yeah. Uh, that's all it is controlling the world. That's what's mm. happened with they wanted to they wanted to bring down Russia, so they thought we'd start some trouble in Ukraine. That's all MI6 and CIA and get people to fight each other. And then it, when these people get too big for their boots or they're no use anymore, they get taken out. I mean, you know, with I promise you now, within six to eighteen months from now, the presence of Ukraine won't be there anymore. And uh, because he'll be no use to the Americans anymore, so they get rid of him. And um, that's a prediction from me, you can see. <laughs> sure. Wow. Very, very insightful read. What a story. And thanks for sharing it with the world. Um, and, and what an absolute honor and privilege to to chat to you, Roberto. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Amazing paintings. Um, <laughs> can't, cannot wait. Well, you can you. buy one of these if you, can, if you save up a bit. You can oh, buy the, one. <laughs> the rand is not as strong, my friend, but I, I wouldn't mind. I, I have a special. I'll sell you one. Oh, will you? Good price. Yeah, well, uh, if any one of your listeners wants want to buy this one, it's uh, it's for sale. But I won't finish it for another be another month or so. Oh, that is beautiful. That is so so beautiful. And so keep painting. Thank you. Uh, keep telling the story, yeah. and I thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. That was just incredible. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. Thank you very much, Roberto. All the best. Cheers. Bye bye. Hasta luego. Breakfast with Martin Bester, driving you to work every weekday from six to nine a.m.